Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. What a blessing it is for my dear wife and I to come and be here uh, with so many folks that have meant so much to us down through the years. For 20 years, I had the gracious privilege of being their pastor. 20 years, they put up with me. I've been asked on occasions, uh, <laughs> I've been asked on occasions, <laughs> Well, how do you stay at one place 20 years? Well, I didn't have nowhere else to go. And, uh, but I've got news for you. They hung in because they didn't have nowhere else to go. They wasn't waiting in line to receive them either, man, I'm telling you. Steve, God bless you and your ministry here. Uh, you and Arlene and all of you, Jack, God bless you. Know that we'll always love you. And I'll always be grateful for just the privilege of being the pastor of that church and to know that it uh, is still going on in that building for missions and all that you implanted there, the gospel still goes, uh, still goes forth from that place. And so I praise the Lord for seeing so many of you that have meant uh, so much, uh, so much to us. Pastor, thank you for uh, the unique privilege of coming and being a part of this week of meeting. And uh, I'm grateful for the ministry that uh, that you have here. Well, I want you to take your Bibles now and uh, open them up, studying with me Matthew chapter 26. Matthew Gospel with the theology of the Messiah. Matthew, a tax collector by trade before the Lord dealt with his life. You all have got somebody who hadn't paid your taxes yet. You got till Monday, I think. I said to my tax collector that I pray for him often. Great friend, and uh, <laughs> that's who Matthew was. But when we come to chapter 26, we come to that passion passage where Jesus begins the journey, begins the road to Calvary. In line with that is the cross. The cross, the old rugged cross. And the events began now with the road to Calvary. Beginning with verse 57. And they that had laid hold on Jesus, they led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were Assemble. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace, went in and sat with the servants to see the end. 
Now the chief priests, elders, and council fought witnesses against Jesus to put Him to death. But found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. The high priest rose and said unto him, Answer thou nothing? What is it which thou hast witnessed against thee? But Jesus held his peace. High priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou can be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. Uh, what further need we have of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard this blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He's Guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face, buffeted him, and others smote him with the palm of their hand, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote you? The road to Calvary, now with this scripture, has begun. And Jesus is on the way to do what he came to do. The little baby of Bethlehem, born in a manger, is now doing that which he had been sent to do. And so the road for Calvary and the cross is prepared. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Let's pray and apply that indispensable principle. And that indispensable principle is you cannot know the Word of God apart from the Holy Spirit of God, for the Holy Spirit of God is the teacher of the Word of God. If you're not saved and you do not know Christ, you'll not have great understanding of what this book has to say according to Scripture. But for we who know Him, we're taught by the Spirit. So let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us. Now take this word, Lord. Now as we come to look again and look afresh at the meaning of the cross, Spirit of the living God, fall and down upon us. And let this Friday night remind us of what happened on Friday. But then we rejoice because then came Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Well, once again, we're just so blessed to be here. Thank you again, Pastor, for letting me come. I 
see so many that I've loved for so many years. And you will always have a special place in our lives. I stand somewhat amazed at what's happening in secular society today. I stand somewhat interested in the fact that now the cross has become a symbol of offense rather than victory. Because you see, there are those that now have said we need to remove the cross. Because the cross is symbolical of that which is negative. One leading clergyman in London said, you know, don't talk about the cross because the cross represents a son who didn't do anything and a father who killed him, which is nothing more than child abuse. Now, there's a theologian if there ever was one. A theologian from hell I might add, but uh, that's just my humble but most accurate opinion. 1934, the Veterans of Foreign War created a memorial for the veterans of World War I. My daddy fought in that war. Out in the Mojave Desert in California, seven feet tall, made out of metal, no insignia, no scripture, nothing on it. But one person found a fence, begun to take it to the court, and with the courts, it began to make its way up through the court system. That that was established by the veterans of foreign war in 1934 to honor these men found its way to the courts when on April the 28th, 2010, the Supreme Court acted in a vote five to four that the cross could stand. Thank God for a Supreme Court that has convictions. Well, two weeks later, someone came in and cut it down anyway because it was an, it was an offense. 1917, Lenin, when he took over Russia, first thing he did, take the crosses down and remove them, get them out of the way. Stalin, when he took over the Eastern Bloc countries, begun to remove the cross of the churches and replaced them with the red star of the Soviet Union. My dear wife and I wound up in Budapest, Hungary, right after the revolution that had happened there. They'd still not had moved all of the red stars of Russia from off the side streets. And we saw them there and knowing that the crosses had been removed. Strange to understand how that in 1979, Pope John Paul II made his visit back to his homeland, Poland. He was so excited about getting back to Poland that when the plane landed and he got off, the Pope kissed the ground. The word was, no one will pay any attention because Poland has had all of these years of atheism and we've torn the cross down. One-third of the population was out to greet the Pope. And two-thirds wanted to watch on TV until the Russians messed it up. I've been to 
Poland to preach on occasions. And I remind myself, and one afternoon I was in the city of Krakow. We went up to Auschwitz to walk through it again. They drug me through it, and uh, some walked through it. <laughs> Auschwitz, where Corrie Ten Boom was held, and her sister was killed, and she died there. Later on, from uh, from Auschwitz, we went down to the manufacturing center where Schindler's was able to save so many Jews. And we looked around, knowing that down on further south from there was the was the place where Hitler's Nazism said, we'll starve them out. And they built a wall and left those Polish people in there to starve. I could not help but think about that when Sunday came. Auschwitz was in one location. Schindler's factory in another. The slum area down here. But in the middle of it is a church. An evangelical church with a cross on the steeple. And that Sunday morning I stood and preached, you can't take away the cross. It is here. And Hitler failed. By the way, Piedmont College up here in North Georgia, they had a cross over top of their chapel and had it removed. And they replaced it with the Mayflower. Boy, that's a great decision. Man, the cross. The cross is where one individual died that I might be able to go to heaven. The cross is one place in Jerusalem where I can be changed by the blood of Christ. One man, all of man, all of God, the Son of God, born of a virgin. One man and yet all of God. Martin Luther begun to study it for over three days picked up the ink well because he could handle it no longer, and said, man in God, God in man, who can understand it? And threw the ink well up against the wall. November 8, 1939, a man by the name of George Elsa, a German. No one had heard of him. Just beginning to erect a few monuments in his honor. Now, he was a maker of clocks. He could build furniture. Not an educated man. But he concluded that he could make a difference if he could kill Hitler. One man. So he began to develop a way to take the life of Hitler because he said, if I can kill him, then there'll be millions who will not die. One man. In reality, not economically up where the ranks are, absolutely not. Did all he could do just to make a living, just to get by.
But one man said, if I can do this, I can make a difference. In Munich, on that November the 8th, Hitler was to come and give a speech to 1,500 old soldiers because it was honoring them. And George Elsa had put the time bomb in the pillar that was behind me. He had worked on it for months to place it there because the building was being refurnished and re- because of Hitler's speech. Of all things, Hitler was time scheduled, demanded that he leave 15 minutes early. And he walked out still alive. The bomb did go off. Some few people died. But someone described it like this. One man thought he could make a difference, but he failed. But when I think of Calvary, I think of one other person that chose to make a difference who did not fail. Because you see, on that old rugged cross, my sin was covered. On that old rugged cross is where you and I have the victory but the road actually begun to Calvary with the passage of Scripture that we read and studied just a moment ago. Amazing passage. as true of all of the Word of God. But it's the first of these trials that Jesus went through. Notice with me the trip to Calvary. The trip to Calvary. You see, the trip to Calvary began on Sunday with a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. There they were waving the palm branches, crying out, Hosanna! On Sunday was the triumphal entry. Then came Monday. And on Monday, the precious Son of God cleansed the temple. When Tuesday came, he realized that knowing that he was soon to die, gave three lectures to his followers, the three main discourses that took place on Tuesday. Then came Wednesday. Wednesday, he retired back out to Bethany. He loved Bethany. And that little village that some of you have been with us, he just loved going there because he could rest there. Dr. Long, you ever been to Bethany? We have, numbers of times. What was your experience in Bethany? Well, for those of you who have known me for years, I have a way of getting in trouble. It was in Bethany in the middle of the street that I was watching this young man take a sling. And, And like David, when he whipped that thing around and killed a giant, I was watching this young man do this thing, and he could take out about anything at any distance. And I knew I could do it better than he could. I just knew it. Told him I wanted to do it. Got that sling. Whooped that baby around a time or two. Let her fly. There was a Mercedes Benz car. Oh, my. Thanks be to God. It didn't hit it. But it came within a breath of taking out one of the windows of that car. What was your experience, Brother Long, in Bethany? I thank God for all that happened there. Thank God that my Lord rested there. But I didn't rest in Bethany. I got out of Dodge. 
Bethany. Our Lord loved Bethany. He could rest there. Then came Thursday. Thursday was when the Lord's Supper, He met with them late in the evening, and the Lord's Supper took place with the disciples. That was the day of Passover. In the city of Jerusalem, thousands of people had assembled themselves uh, together. I believe it was late in the evening when our Lord began to make His way out from where the upper room and down headed out toward Gethsemane. At twelve midnight, the priest would open up the temple gate. And with all of their animals, they could go into the temple to sacrifice their animals. In the back part of the temple, there was a drainage where the blood of those animals could be drained and would make its way down to the Kedwin Brook going on down from Jerusalem. It was there that they walked out of Jerusalem down the hill toward the Mount of Olives, crossing over the Hedron Brook, headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. So many of you have been there, and you've been there with us. My children sang that at a church is built. There in that garden, the precious divine Son of God who knew no sin began to pray as He poured out His life knowing what was going to take place. Gethsemane is known as the olive press. There's a huge tree in Gethsemane, where the thorns are this long. I believe and I know whether that tree or any other, what I do know was the crown of thorns came from a tree just like that. That would be pressed upon his brow. Friday came. But all that happened leading up on the trip to Calvary. From there, through a series of over six trials, then on to the cross on Friday. There He spoke seven times on Calvary. The sixth time, it is finished! Hallelujah, it was done. From the book of Genesis, that gives us the first inclination of what's going to happen all the way through to the book of Revelation. It's now done. And Jesus died. But then came Sunday. For Sunday is the hallelujah day for we who know Him. The trip to Calvary gives way to the trials that took place before Calvary. Because in verse 47 of that same passage, the Bible says, A great crowd went with Judas. Judas the traitor said, When you see the one that I shall kiss, he'll be the one. 
Judas for 30 pieces of silver sold out the Son of God. When they went, they had a mob with them because they had three groups, the Roman soldiers, they had the police from the temple grounds, and then the religious folks had to get in on it with the Pharisees. Two things that happened when they came to get him that I find, that I find extremely interesting, overwhelmingly interesting. You know when they asked him, are you the one, are you the one? He said, I'm the one. You know what John tells us in his gospel? They fell over. Now I don't want to, I don't want to overplay that, but I don't want to underplay it either. Are you the one? I'm it. Bam. Now that would have gotten my attention. Amen? I mean, <laughs> then the second thing that occurred in that whole encounter, was Peter, my man, pulled out his knife, his dagger. It's about 18 inches long. It's the one that is spoken of in Ephesians 6, which is the sword of the Spirit. You see, there were two kinds. One, you had to have two hands to do battle with. But this was like a little dagger. While you're drawing back with that big one, I'm... And you're a done deal. <laughs> you're done. And that's what Peter had. What did he do? My man. He just decided he'd cut this guy's ear off. And he wasn't aiming for his ear. I believe he missed. By the way, do you know who the man was that he, that he sliced his ear off? The slave of the chief of the Pharisees. Because, man, if you're going to cut somebody's ear, let's go for the, let's go for gold. And what did Jesus do? He just repaired his ear. Made him an ear. Fixed him an ear. Now watch. Once again, I'm, I'm up off the ground now. Sort of cleaning myself off watching the action of Brother Steve, and all of a sudden, here's the man with the ear gone. He couldn't hear. <laughs> I identify with him in many ways. And what does Jesus do? Puts the ear back in, its, in a place. And heals, he heals this man. Now that would get my attention but even with these two things that had happened, with them standing right there, they took him back into Jerusalem, back down the hill, up to the gate, because they wanted one thing. And only one thing was going to satisfy, and that was that Jesus had to die. And he had to go to the cross. When I think of the courts, the Jews had two kinds, two courts. The Jews for one, the Romans courts also. You see, the Jew could declare you to die, but he couldn't kill you. The Romans had to do that. 
The Jews could condemn you to death, but they couldn't put you to death. So they led him down from the Garden of Gethsemane, down to the palace of the high priest, over to the palace of Herod the Great, over to the palace of Antipathus, on down to the other palace, and finally on the road going out up to Galilee. And then look at verse 66 in this tremendous book, the Word of God. And in this passage, where it says in verse 66, What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. They spit in his face, buffeted him and others, slapped him, hit him with the open part of their hand, and said, Prophesize unto us, thou Christ. Who was it that hit you? The trials and all that took place gave way to the triumph. Because you see, this is not the, only the picture of death, it's the picture of triumph. A victory in Jesus. And notice what happened when Jesus died. Well, to do it, I, I, I just must turn over to Corinthians because my friend the Apostle Paul can give it to me in a threefold aspect. I just have to do it because you see, what they thought was trials and death and Now we got him and the demons of hell laughing and making mockery. Here's what Paul said happened on Calvary. 2 Corinthians 5, looking at verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith has been in vain. What happened? And when I began to see all that happened. And that was chapter 15, and I want to go to chapter 5. But I like that one too. So I'll just spend a little time on that one before I get over to this one. Now chapter 5, verse 14. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Now I found it. For the love of Christ constraineth us Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Notice what happened at Calvary. Because in verse 17 it says, Because of that death, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. A new creature. All things passed away. All things become new. Was it a time of defeat? No, it's a time of victory because I've been redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Not defeat, but victory. Look at verse 19. It's the triumph of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not to imputing their trespasses upon them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. I've been reconciled. And to know that I not only have I been redeemed, but thanks be to God, 
I've been reconciled in that relationship with the Lord that nobody else could do and nobody else could pay for. For you see, when Jesus died, He prepared the way that I can march right into the presence of the living King of kings and the Lord of lords. My dear wife and I, as we've traveled around the world, we've seen all kind of things. Little church in Rio de Janeiro, when you fly into Rio, 365 steps, it is indicated that for those who can climb all 365, your sins will be forgiven. Man, I can't get up three, much less 365. We have seen things we never dreamed we'd see. And it just reminds me, thank God that what I can't do, Jesus did. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. One last thing. In verse 21, For hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Thank God for the trials and testings But praise the Lord for the triumph. Friday tells me of the cross. But then comes Sunday. Friday tells me there the Son of God, who knew no sin, shed His rich red royal blood that I might know Him. But then came Sunday. When I begin to think that a study in life and a study of biology tells me that Jesus is the giver of life. For biology is the study of life. Jesus gives life. If you were to study astronomy, it'll tell you how the heavens are. But Jesus is that bright and morning star. Study of geology gives me the ages of rocks, but Jesus is the rock of ages. And history tells me about the happenings of the past. But Jesus is the focal point of all of history. Friday came. But hold on, soon Sunday will be coming. I just must remind myself on a visit to Russia, my first time there after the revolution. I've shared this on occasions and want to share it again because it demonstrates to me the power again of who he was. Russia. I was there in February. I didn't know it could get so cold on the planet Earth as it did in Russia in February. I was hoping that Al Gore would come and go with me again to Russia in February. We had planned a strategy to train church pastors went on for years. I don't know how many hundreds now have been equipped to plant churches. But that first visit was something else. It was Friday afternoon and they said to, you, to me, Dr. Long, you know, you had not been able to see much and I don't need to see any more sights. I've seen all the sights I need to see in one lifetime. So out of courtesy, I, well, that boy, that's fine. I'd like to do that. Lord, forgive me for telling something I wouldn't like to do because it was snowing and I was freezing and I had a terrible, horrendous cold. We went out to Red Square and uh, walked by the tomb of Lenin. 
where there are guards guarding the tomb. And over here to this thing and, and all of the stuff. And then finally, they took me to a museum honoring Mr. Lennon. Those of you that have known me for years know that I hate museums. Well, you educators, I apologize, but I still don't like them. I don't understand why you have to be quiet in a museum. I don't like to be quiet nowhere. Nowhere. Dr. Long, we're going to take you to this museum. I said, my, my. Put me under the auspices of a lady, Russian lady, who was going to educate me as to how wonderful Lenin was. She said to me, observe as you walk through the museum, there are pictures sent from all the nations of the world, but there's not one sent by the United States of America. It's Friday. I'm sick. I'm freezing. So I said to her, ma'am, we did send pictures over here. No, sir. I said, ma'am, I tell you, we sent pictures. No, sir, I know every inch in this museum. I said, ma'am, we sent them on dollar bills to buy out and pay out what that man couldn't produce, and part of it were my dollars from my taxes. She didn't get blessed by that, but under God I did. We turned her up a notch or two, begun to wake our way through, and finally, hallelujah, came to the end. And she finally said, our great leader, Mr. Lennon died. Died a very horrendous death, by the way. I said, now, ma'am, you and I have something that's common ground, common for both of us. Your leader was a revolutionary. My leader also was a revolutionary. Your leader died. My, my leader died. My leader was murdered and killed. And it was one of those times, Pastor, and you guys know, that when the Holy Spirit takes over and you know and you know and you know that you know. And she began to ask me questions about my leader. Your leader, she said, did he identify with all people? I said, oh, yes. Yes, man. He, I, boy, he did. He identified with everybody. Did he make a difference economically in people? I said, oh, Man, he made a difference in people's lives. And she said, uh, uh, was he willing to accept people? For, uh, man, he did. Yeah, he was willing to do that. She asked me a series of questions for about five minutes. I began to ask the Lord, Lord, this is too easy. At least give me a little bit of a challenge. Finally, I said, however, I was just over at Red Square. I saw the tomb that houses the body of your leader, Mr. Lennon. I do know that there's quite a discussion about removing his body from here and burying him in St. Petersburg by his mother. Yes, she said. That is quite a discussion now. And I said, ma'am, you have a problem with your leader I didn't have in mind. For your leader did die and was placed in a tomb. I'm impressed with the guards that are there. But you don't know what to do with his body. Whether or not to leave him here in Red Square or to remove his body, St. Petersburg. You have a problem I don't have. 
with my leader. My leader did die, died on a Friday, was placed in a tomb, and did have the guards there to watch, protect, and oversee. But on the third day, which was Sunday, my leader got up, sat up, folded the grave clothes, walked out of the tomb, alive and alive forevermore. Your leader's in a tomb over here, and mine is alive forevermore. Hallelujah. His name is Jesus. Well, boy, that didn't bless her. She said, this tour is ended as of now. Those of you that have known me know I just look for trouble. Because when she turned to begin pastor to walk back down that hallway, I couldn't help it. I got a bad case of the can't help it. And ma'am, by the way, he's coming back again too. Hallelujah. For Friday. But glory to God. Then comes Sunday. Father, we thank you for the Word of God as we have taken a close look at the trip to Calvary. As we have given a study to the trials and then to the triumph over the grave. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.